0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Ostracon Films with Lost Girls and Love Hotels starring Alexandra Daddario. A troubled American English teacher explores love and lust on a journey through Tokyo's dive bars and love hotels available digitally and on demand now.
1: From NPR and WNYC coming to you from the bell house in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. It's NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. Ask me another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now, here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a great show for you. As you may know, we have four brilliant contestants. They are going to be out here playing nerdy games with us, but right now they are backstage. They're all sharing their hot takes on the movie Green Book, which uh, none of them have seen. And one of them will become our big winner. And this is our Valentine's Day show, everybody. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> So my husband and I, we've been together 10 years, we met offline, not called real life anymore, offline, but I did a lot of dating when I moved here, I was on J-Date. I found it very hard, because on J-Date at the time, so you had your picture, you wrote your profile, and then you were supposed to put like a a couple words under your picture, like a tagline, to get people excited to check you out, and I did not know how to describe myself in a couple of words, you know, at the time I was like, I'm in my 30s, I've kind of been around the block, you know, like, (laughs) what do I put... So finally I just put, as is. <laughs> a real fixer-upper, yeah. Hobbies include depression <laughs> and making you guess why I'm angry. <laughs> it's a fun thing. Do you ever have that moment in your relationship where someone's just passive-aggressively angry and you have to decide what happens?
1: I feel like that's most happened? of what a relationship is.
2: That's what is way, this way you do.
1: You think of new ways of expressing, but not really expressing your anger. No. And you gradually learn that the other person, what it looks like when they're angry, and you learn to ignore it. Right. Just gloss over it. Yeah. On our show, we have, uh,
2: we have two special guests on the show. We have amazing comedian returning to our show, Michael Ian Black. Michael Ian Black also has a podcast called Obscure, where he reads Thomas Hardy's book, Jude the Obscure, out loud, and comments on it. Which, this is actually the template for the future of American education. This is how people are going to learn about classic literature. They're going to listen to podcasts of classic works read by celebrities. That's how it's going to work. Homework is going to be like, listen to Jane Eyre as read by Post Malone. You know, that's going to be the thing. After that, listen to RuPaul's A Brief History of Time. (laughs) We also have relationship expert Esther Perel on the show. Her podcast is called, Where Should We Begin? It takes you inside her office where she offers couples therapy. Uh, And if you wonder, how could couples actually be okay with airing their problems and arguments publicly? Well then, you've never spent a weekend at Ikea. (laughs) Or Costco, or Target, or in my bathroom while I'm brushing my teeth. My husband and I actually... I think we have the lamest arguments of all time. Do you have the same argument over and over again? <laughs> yes. What's the topic of your main argument?
1: Uh, mostly it's hard to have a roommate.
2: Yes. It is hard to live with someone.
1: You know what I mean? Yep. Whether you're romantically involved with them or not. Yep. it's, it's very difficult to share a space with somebody. Super... Yeah. I you mean... Gotta, you got live and let live.
2: Actually, I think back at that. I did it all wrong. I love my husband, but on our first date, I asked him, like, what kind of music do you, like, listen to? What relationship do you have with your mom? dumb this is what i should have asked him do you put your crap away that's what i should have asked him you know i should have posed thing like you walk through the door you have a jacket hat and bag walk me through what happens next all right we're going to have a great show everybody you guys are awesome Our first game is about sick burns from famous figures. Confucius once said, silence is a true friend who never betrays. Unlike Marie. <laughs> Let's meet our contestants. First up, Tatiana Vega. You're a senior analyst at an ad agency and you've met some pretty amazing celebrities. J-Lo. Yes. Okay, so what were the circumstances that led you to meet JLo? lo I
3: worked downtown and she was filming Shades of Blue mm-hmm. and I had a good friend at work who we would just have lunches about JLo and he sent me a G chat being like JLo's
4: filming down the block and I was like F this I'm leaving work I'm going to go find JLo um, and I text my husband and he's like go back to work be a responsible adult you're not
3: going to meet her and I said try me and I went I asked the guy who worked at craft services if she was done he said yes and I just waited in this little group of two people and I got a selfie with JLo <laughs>
2: Wow, very cool. And where is this photo now? On all my social media. It's on all your social media. (laughs) Well done, well done. Tatiana, when you ring in, we'll hear this. Your opponent is Sarah Favinger. You're a professional musician. Nice. What instrument do you play? I'm a double bassist. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Are you one of these people that I've seen on the subway with your double bass bringing it to a gig? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do people feel the need to comment when they see you holding that in- that size of an instrument on public yeah. transportation?
4: I have like my own personal game of bingo that I play. I know what I'm going to be asked or what the commentary is that yeah. I'm going to hear. Um, people always want to know if I wish I played the piccolo. Sure. Or uh, they tell me that thing's bigger than you are, which I'm definitely aware of. And then my favorite... (laughs) Like you've never noticed that you have this... I've never noticed that it's definitely six feet tall and I'm not. (laughs) Um, My favorite though is it's always a woman and they always offer to help. And I really appreciate it, but I'm like, I don't know what you could do, but I really appreciate you offering.
2: (laughs) Right, she's like, I'll hold the bow.
4: Yeah, yeah. if you want to take that out of the bag,
0: that'd
2: be great. That's awesome. All right, Sarah, when you ring in, we'll hear this. Tatiana and Sarah, whoever has more points after two games, will go on to the final round. This first trivia game is called Haters Gonna Hate. Jonathan and I will read you some insults, disses, and shade thrown by famous people. And you just tell us who delivered these sick burns. While competing for the World Heavyweight Championship against Sonny Liston in 1964, this boxing legend said of his opponent, he's too ugly to be world champion. The world champ should be pretty like me. Muhammad Ali. That's right, Tatiana. Muhammad Ali is correct.
1: A German TV reporter asked this pop superstar about Jennifer Lopez, and she said, quote, I don't know her. Tatiana.
4: Mariah Carey.
1: Yeah, that's right. This one is a literal burn. At a costume ball in the 1930s, this iconic French fashion designer set her rival, Elsa Schiaparelli, on fire by backing her into a chandelier lit by candles. Sarah? Coco Chanel. Yeah, that's right.
2: (laughs) This British prime minister once said, in politics, if you want anything said, ask a man. If you want anything done, ask a woman. Sarah? Sarah?
4: Margaret Thatcher.
1: That's right. This is your last clue. We may never know what then Speaker of the House John Boehner said at a 2013 inauguration luncheon that made this First Lady roll her eyes, but the video went viral immediately. Sarah.
4: Michelle Obama.
1: You got it.
2: All right, great game. Sarah is in the lead. Our next game is about fictional drugs like runner's high. (laughs) I'm going to get a lot of mean (laughs) mail from marathoners. This audio quiz is called Side Effects May Include, and the points are doubled. We produce drug commercials for fictional mind and body altering substances from books, television, and film. Ring in and identify the source material. Here's your first ad. What book is this from? Whether you're an alpha, beta,
3: or gamma, social anxiety touches everyone in a genetically modified society. Ask your doctor about Soma. It relieves stress, so you can relax and have government-controlled sexual relations. Side effects include escapism, conformity, dystopia, rhyming words with porgy, and unbridled worship of a Model T
2: Ford. Okay, does anyone? All right. All right. That's okay. Good way to start. (laughs) Brave New World is what we were looking for. Okay. Okay, everyone feels weird right now. That's fine. (laughs) Let's hear your next ad.
5: Is your journey home after a 10 year war and the fall of Troy feeling a little too epic? Does everyone think you're dead? Try lotus flowers. Side effects may include amnesia. Apathy, Lotus Flower Addiction, Uncontrollable Weeping. Speaking in Dactylic Hexameter. Sarah. The
2: Odyssey. The Odyssey is correct. (laughs) This next drug is from a television show.
3: Keeping up with a cascade of cliffhangers and red herrings in a CW teen drama is a lot. Fortunately, there's Jingle Jangle. Side effects may include bloodlust, heightened thirst for violence associating with people named Sugarman and being drawn to a hunky redhead. <laughs> Tatiana. Riverdale?
2: That is correct. Yeah. This drug is from a movie
1: Sick of looking in the mirror and seeing just an average bad guy? Get into super villainy fast. It's easy to terrify Gotham with Scarecrow's Fear Toxin. Side effects may include chaos, rioting in the streets, seeing bats when there are no bats, and convoluted villainy.
2: Tatiana. Batman? Can you be more specific? The Dark Knight. That's not the one we were looking for. Sarah, can you steal?
4: Batman Begins?
2: Yeah, that's the one we were looking for. You guys kind of work together on that one. This
3: is your last clue. Forgot to eat before hopping on a boat for a really messed up chocolate factory cruise? Pop a piece of three course dinner chewing gum. May cause body to
6: balloon and turn violet. If blueberry juice inflation lasts longer than four hours, consult your local Oompa Loompa. Tatiana.
4: Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory.
2: That's right. Turns out after two games, Sarah is going to our final round. Coming up, we have comedian Michael Ian Black. He rose to prominence on MTV, which puts him in the esteemed company of Puck, Tila Tequila, and Johnny Bananas. Oh yeah, back then MTV didn't have staff meetings, more staff infections. (laughs) I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Netflix's Ratchet. From the creator of American Horror Story and starring Emmy Award winner Sarah Paulson, Netflix's Ratched tells the origin story of how the iconic asylum nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Mildred Ratched, came to be. This suspenseful drama delves deep into the mysterious world of 1940s psychiatric hospitals where Mildred Ratched must reckon with her past and anyone in her way. Watch Ratched only on Netflix September 18th.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor PRX, featuring Snap Judgment. Ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? Hear it from the people who lived it on Snap Judgment. See the world through someone else's eyes. Find Snap Judgment wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now, here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg.
2: Thank you, Jonathan. It's time to welcome our special guest. You know him from the state, wet, hot American summer, Stella, and his podcast is called Obscure. Please welcome comedian Michael Ian Black.
7: Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for coming back on our show. My pleasure. It's my favorite show on NPR. I would have said that no matter what I know, show I, know. I was appearing on.
2: You know, when you were on our show in 2013, we were talking about that you, in 2009, kind of were responsible for starting the first Twitter war with LeVar Burton. That's right. It was the first Twitter war, period. I think so. And now, here we are,
7: 2019, uh, that's the backbone of Twitter and really our lives. Right. But at the time, when, I, when LeVar uh, Burton and I did that, it was all fun and games. It was all good-spirited and uh, just a desperate ploy to get followers. Yes. It wasn't the personal vitriolic attacks that I engage in now on a daily basis. That's right. Do you just
2: love confrontation?
7: No. In, no, I'm terrified of confrontation, which is why I do all of it virtually. Do you ever just want to
2: walk away from Twitter?
7: Uh, yes. And, and actually, I have uh, dialed it greatly back in recent months, and it, it has improved my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so instead, now I just play online poker. And, <laughs>
2: which you're very good at.
7: Well, we lost the house. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Well,
2: you know, it happens. It happens. Now, your comedy group, The State. Yes. Thanks, Love. guys. You formed 30 years ago. As a matter of fact, October 1988.
7: That sounds right.
2: Yeah. Did you have a celebration?
7: Well, not officially, Hi-fi? but one of our members uh, turned 50, and we went to uh, Las Vegas. And uh, you know what you do in Las Vegas when you're 50. You go to bed early.
2: <laughs> you hit the buffet at, yeah. <laughs> at seven.
7: Yeah. We saw Penn and Teller. Their show was at eight. I think I was in bed asleep at 9.45. <laughs>
2: the greatest. The best. The greatest. What a vacation. <laughs> so over the last uh, couple of years, you have also shifted gears, and you have written and uh, spoken to serious matters, gun control, the Me Too movement, the state of masculinity. Not every male comedian is... I would say, stepping up and deciding to do this. So I am just wondering, from your point of view, did you feel like for whatever reason you had no choice?
7: Well, none of it is deliberate. None of it's like I'm going to speak out on this particular topic. It's I think what every comedian does is you just speak about the things that you care about. Yeah, so I care uh, very much about gun violence. I care very much about the state of our nation. I care very much about uh, issues surrounding gender because they're, they're, they're issues that I've dealt with my whole life and wasn't even fully aware of it until I started examining it and, and wasn't fully aware that I had been dealing with it in one form or another since since I can remember.
2: But I'm very particularly interested in the stuff that you've been writing about the state of masculinity and also you have a book coming out called a better man, a letter to my son that's coming out in the fall. And it is, in a way, it's letters to your son who's about to go to college about, I guess, being a better man.
7: Well, yeah. I mean, it's as much to me as it is to him in the sense of trying to figure out how to be better, trying to figure out how to live a healthy, happy life as a man and not inflict awfulness on everybody else. Um, And it's hard work for guys to understand the that we're constantly depositing all over the landscape. And I'm I'm specifically talking about white dudes here. Uh, (laughs) And so a lot of the book is exploring that and, and figuring out how we can be better.
2: What is a piece of advice that you give to your son on how to be a better man?
7: The main message I'm trying to get across to him and to uh, guys in general isn't so much that you need to be different than who you are, it's that you need to be the fullest expression of who you are, which means that so much of masculinity is defined in very narrow slices, which erases so much of who we are as people. Even though men have these rich internal lives that are filled with every human emotion yeah the way we express that and the way we are forced to live that comes out through such a narrow opening that we don't know just how to live as as fully human beings. And when we acknowledge our sort of full humanity, then it becomes easier to acknowledge everybody else's full humanity. And that's the message I'm trying to get. Not that we need to change masculinity, but that we need to redefine it, expand it so that we understand that we're all just people. Right. Um, There is something really comforting and easy about saying, well, you're a boy, so you're going to be this way. And if you happen to fit into that box, things are very easy. Sure. Uh, a lot of us don't fit into that box and when and so what kids are growing up with now is questioning the box and looking at it from all sides and examining that what i hope we're going through now culturally and 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 what i hope will spread through this country and and globally is a conversation that will take place that will make it much easier for my kids kids to grow up and feel freer to be who they are, how they are, and to also be able to change as they, as they age, um, if they so desire.
2: Right, and see that change is actually a positive sure. thing. Yeah. Okay, very good. Uh, you have a new podcast as well. I love the premise of this podcast. I really enjoyed listening to it. You're reading the Thomas Hardy novel, Jude the Obscure, in its entirety. That's right. Why Thomas Hardy's Jude the Obscure?
7: Well, so the inspiration was twofold. One, unemployment. And, <laughs> and we had this book that my wife had uh, as a uh, college student called Jude the Obscure, which has been sitting on our bookshelf probably for 20 years, unloved, unread. And at times, when I have been reorganizing bookshelves, as I do during periods of unemployment, I've said to my wife, can we throw this out? Sure. And she will say, no, it's a classic. Yes. So I thought it would be funny to uh, read the book out loud and comment on it as I go as a podcast. And I also thought, as I was thinking that, oh, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Which I'm sure made you more excited. It made me more excited to do it, that's right.
2: From the listener's point of view, what is the ultimate takeaway of this project?
7: Apparently, there's some dude doing all of James Joyce in a similar manner, uh, which sounds interminable. <laughs> so, I guess the takeaway is at least it's not that. Right. It's a good takeaway. It's a good takeaway. All right. Michael, are you ready for an Ask Me
2: Another Challenge? Of course. All right, fantastic. That's right. So, uh, Michael, your game is called Jude, the Obscure Words. Okay. So two of our producers and one intern skimmed through the text of Jude, the Obscure, looking for the obscure words. So I'm going to give you a word... From the book okay. and three possible definitions, and you're going to tell me which one is correct.
7: Now, it's fair that a lot of times when I'm reading and I don't know a word, I'll just read it and skip right over it and not acknowledge that I don't know the meaning of the word. Right. Because I don't want to look foolish. Yeah. Sometimes I will acknowledge that I don't know the word and, and look it up. That's right. S- so some, some of these words I may know, most of them I probably oh, yeah, will and not. It,
2: and it's good natured multiple choice. If you do well enough, listener Mitchell Schaub from West Bend, Wisconsin will win and ask me another Rubik's Cube.
7: How well is well enough? Just And just that I'm playing. You're going to do well enough. Okay, good. Great.
2: Okay. Is raillery a jewelry for banisters, B, good-humored teasing, or C, impersonating a member of the nobility?
7: That's good-natured teasing.
2: It sure is. Yeah. Yeah.
7: I just figured I would say it with confidence, and yeah. that way... If I was right, I would look really smart. No. Maybe,
2: yeah. Do you remember this? Is it? Do I strike you as being learned, she asked, with a touch of raillery?
7: <laughs> Don't remember that at all. No,
2: okay. <laughs> what is a do-bit? A, a pre-breakfast breakfast, <laughs> B, part of a rainbow, or C, a one-woman play performed in a damp meadow?
7: I want it to be a one-woman show performed in a damp meadow. That's Sounds where most great. Of us start. But I'm going to go with B.
2: A part of a rainbow? yeah. It's actually even better than all that. It's a pre-breakfast breakfast. breakfast. I had
7: no idea. How could it be a breakfast before breakfast? The definition of breakfast is that you're breaking the fast. I totally feel like I'm on the podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What is a mullion? Is it A, a savory seasoning for stew, B, part of a window, C, a haircut that's business in the front, and onion in the back?
7: (laughs) This is the only one that I have actually known. Oh. It is part of a window.
2: It is part of a window, yes.
7: That's a word still in usage. A mullion.
2: In this case, Jude is trying new jobs, and one of them involves windows, yeah,
7: right? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Okay. Uh, I just know it because we built a mansion in Connecticut and we had to decide on mullions.
2: Like millions of mullions? Millions of
7: mullions. Yeah. And then we, we, we got it wrong, so we had a mulligan on the mullions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is one of my favorite.
2: What lear leer-upping hobbledehoy?
7: Oh, hobbledehoy.
2: Yes. Is it A, a slouching teenager, B, a bird enthusiast with a shady past, or C, a friendly greeting shouted while riding the back of a mule?
7: I, I, I think it's a slouching teenager. Yeah,
2: you think right once again. Uh, it's, I'm really
7: good at this, you guys. You're very good at this.
2: This is your last clue. What is a somnambulist? It's a sleepwalker. A. Oh. One who's naturally gifted at gymnastics. B, a sleepwalker. <laughs> or C, a sommelier for alarm clocks.
7: Do you think somnambulist... I'm yes. going to tie it back to an earlier portion of the show. Please. Do you think Aldous Huxley created Soma, the drug... from B, Because it had the sa- it's the same thing.
2: Absolutely. Great callback, uh,
7: Michael. Thanks. That was
2: really amazing. If you like
7: callbacks like that, you're gonna love obscure.
2: That's right. And right, because you knew that word from life, or do you knew that word from the book?
7: Uh, from, from life. life. From, from life. life. I take a lot of Ambient.
2: <laughs> uh, well, guess what? You did well enough. You did well Thank enough. God. Congratulations, Michael. You and Mitchell Schaub won Ask me another Rubik's Cubes. Oh, great. <laughs> Michael's podcast is called Obscure. Give it up for Michael Ian Black. Thanks. Want our next special guest to play for you? Follow Ask Me Another on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next up, a game called When Three Become Two. Don't worry, it's not another lecture about polyamory. It's a mashup game. Let's meet our contestants. First up, Rebecca Ferrer. You're a school
4: counselor. That
2: sounds like very gratifying work. I enjoy it. Okay, so uh, what's one of the greatest compliments a student has ever paid you? (laughs) Uh,
4: A couple weeks ago, a student came into my office, and he goes, I want to tell you something, but I'm afraid it's going to come out weird. And I thought, very few things you could tell me could be weird at this point in my career. And uh, he goes, do you watch the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine? I said, I love it. He goes, "Okay, you remind me of Amy Santiago. And I was like, what? and then I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, you're right. He goes, you never let me touch your good pens. And I was like, that sounds like something Amy would do. And she did. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I love that you have good pens.
4: You know, when you're in a school and you've got a good pen, you kind of want to hold you gotta, you gotta hang on to it until your good pen. out. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, Rebecca, when you ring in, we'll hear this. Your opponent is Christopher Downs. You're a writer on the Australian version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yes, I am. So is there a big difference between the Australian version and the American show?
5: There is now. There, it was the same years ago, and they developed uh, in the UK a half-hour-every-night format called Hot Seat. There are a lot of new rules. What? There are no lifelines, although there are now new lifelines, and you can pass, and it's a whole thing. <laughs> I was working on the show for three months before I got all the rules down.
2: Right. Yeah. And uh, the quiz questions, are they at all uh, specific
5: to Australian pop culture? They are more specific to Australian pop culture. I only know this because uh, I keep getting questions about America rejected. (laughs) Oh. Because there is an assumption that I am now too American. (gasps) which clearly I'm not, you can hear it. Yeah. But every time I write a question with anything in the Northern Hemisphere, they're like, no, he's gone to America now. No, we can't. (laughs) Can you stick to Australia, please? Right, more
2: Kylie Minogue.
5: Yes. I'm at my limit of Kylie Minogue (laughs) questions. (laughs) I'm at capacity. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Christopher, when you ring in, we're going to hear this. Remember, Rebecca and Christopher, whoever has more points after two games will go to our final round. Let's go to your first game. This word game is called When Three Become Two. In each clue, you'll mash up a celebrity with a three-word name and a famous duo.
1: For example, if we said, after starring in Phantom Thread, this actor and his partner trekked across the country with Sacagawea, you would answer Daniel Day, Lewis, and Clark.
2: The three-named actor will always come first, and the duo will always come second. Okay, here we go.
1: After she changed the game forever, this battle of the sexes, tennis player went on to star in a Broadway musical about her relationship with the ruler of Thailand. Christopher.
5: Billy Jean King and I?
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: After he finished writing Infinite Jest, this author and his claymation dog took a rocket to the moon to get some cheese. Christopher.
5: Wallace and Gromit. Okay, wait. David Foster, Wallace and Gromit. Yes!
2: Nice. I would love a claymation adaptation of Infinite Jest. Can you imagine the amount of clay that would take? (laughs) So much clay.
1: (laughs) so long. Go on a girl's trip with this actress from Menace to Society and The Matrix Reloaded, who's half of a major firearms manufacturer. Her husband is Will Smith.
5: Christopher. Jada, Pinkett, Smith, and Wesson. Yeah, that's right.
2: You know this actor from Ed, Stella, and this episode of Ask Me Another. He's also one half of a power
4: tool brand. Rebecca. Michael Ian Blackendecker. That is correct.
1: This Scottish man invented the telephone so that he could tell everyone about his favorite twee Scottish indie rock group. But that's just the consequence of sound. Christopher.
5: Alexander, Graham, Bell, and Sebastian. Uh Uh-huh. That's right.
2: Um, Actually, Alexander, Graham, Bell lived in Scotland, Canada, U.S., England. It's like the Potato People Tour.
1: (laughs) But Scottish, there you go. This is your last clue. He wrote America's national anthem, then teamed up with a comedian to play President Obama's anger translator. <laughs> Rebecca.
4: Francis, Scott, Key, and Peel.
1: You got it, that's right.
2: Oh, yes. That was great. Christopher is in the lead. <laughs> Have you decoded the secret puzzle we embedded in the last five episodes of Ask Me Another? If so, I have some bad news. We did not actually embed a puzzle in the last five episodes. But the good news is that you should be a contestant on our show. Just go to amatickets.org. Coming up, relationship expert Esther Perel is going to explain everything that went wrong in every single one of our relationships. And then we can all ignore her and make the same mistakes again anyway. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Netflix's Ratchet. From the creator of American Horror Story and starring Emmy Award winner Sarah Paulson, Netflix's Ratchet tells the origin story of how the iconic asylum nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Mildred Ratchet, came to be. This suspenseful drama delves deep into the mysterious world of 1940s psychiatric hospitals where Mildred Ratched must reckon with her past and anyone in her way. Watch Ratched only on Netflix September 18th.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor PRX, featuring Snap Judgment. Ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? Hear it from the people who lived it on Snap Judgment. See the world through someone else's eyes. Find Snap Judgment wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is NPR's Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now, here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg.
2: Thank you, Jonathan. Before the break, we met our contestants, Rebecca and Christopher. Rebecca, do you have a Valentine's Day tradition of any kind?
4: I do. My husband and I met when he were, we were both in college, and our first Valentine's Day was... I had graduated, and he was doing a victory lap. And um, we... Ordered in um, Italian takeout, but we didn't really have any place to sit because he lived in a frat house. So we sat on the floor of his uh, bedroom at the frat house, and that um, has now been our tradition. We order from the same Italian place, and we eat on the floor.
2: Of a different frat house every year. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That'd be hilarious. Christopher, how about you? Do you have a Valentine's
5: Day tradition? Only one uh, married Valentine's Day so far. It's just being real smug. Just ring, real smug and relaxed that it no longer stresses me out. I had 36 (laughs) awfully stressful Valentine's Days, and now they're all just chill.
2: Cool. I like it. Let's go to your next game. This is a music parody called Change of Heart. Many musicians have written about the heart, giving other bodily organs short shift. That ends today.
1: Finally. We rewrote (laughs) songs with the word heart in the title to make them about other bodily organs. Ring in to identify the organ I'm singing about And if you get that right for a bonus point You can identify the original song or the artist who made it famous
2: Okay, Christopher, stay in the lead And you are in the final round Rebecca, you need to get more points Or you have to tell us which television show is better The Resident or New Amsterdam (laughs) Thank you, Christopher
1: (laughs) Alright, here we go The back of the abdomen is your place You two bean-shaped things come in a pair just in case Passing a stone and it's killing me, but it makes me
4: think of you every time I pee. Rebecca. So, kidney.
1: Kidney is correct. Yeah.
4: Not. (laughs)
1: For bonus point, can you name the song of the artist?
4: So sorry. That's a no.
1: Okay. That's all right. That was Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen.
4: Ah, okay. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Enzymes breaking down the food that I chew. Peristalsis gonna smush it all through. Esophagus, esophagus, the esophagus leads here. You, Christopher, uh, stomach. Stomach is the answer. That's right. Yeah. Bonus point if you can name the song of the artist. Stop dragging my heart around. Yeah, that's right. Stevie next to Tom Petty. Yeah, nice one. Detox my body. The portal vein brings you blood. Break down my fat and also the gin that I drank. Whoops, I drank too much gin. Metabolize. I need your bitter bile. Detox my body. Christopher, the
5: liver. The liver. That's right. Uh, Tony Braxton, unbreak my heart. Yeah, that's right. Bonus point goes to you.
1: Okay, here's here's your next one. Air is drawn in through your bronchial tubes as you expand. CO2 goes out, O2 comes in to meet demand. Hey, wait, I got a little bit faint. Oh, yeah, while I was singing, I forgot to breathe. Christopher, Lungs. Lungs, that's right. Bonus point. Hot-shaped box. Right? Yeah, that's right. Nirvana. Now, a lung-shaped box
2: is not as romantic, <laughs> but it can hold more.
1: <laughs> this is your last clue. Once upon a time, I was living in you. Now you're all I'm thinking about. There's nothing I could do. Your contractions were forcing me out. <laughs> Rebecca.
4: It's cervix? Or uterus? Your contractions are forcing me out, right? Uterus?
1: Uterus is correct. That's right. Oh, Bonus point if you can name the song. It's
4: total eclipse of the heart.
1: It sure is, Bonnie Tyler.
4: Guys yeah, are both.
2: Fantastic. After two games, Christopher is moving on to the final round. Before the final round, it's time for us to play a game. This is Meet the Expert. So please welcome couples therapist and host of the podcast. Where should we begin? Esther Perel. Esther, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you so much for agreeing to help me with my relationship live on stage. No, you've already said that you're going to do exactly
6: what you came in with doing. So <laughs> That's right. I'm sure a lot of people say that, right? Exactly. Because people come to tell me what's wrong with the other, and I should fix their partner. That's right. <laughs> it's a drop-off service. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, you have this podcast, this is the third season that you've completed called Where Should We Begin? These couples are having live counseling sessions with you.
6: Does it take a little while for people to sort of disarm? Look, people come... They have been thinking about what they want to do there. They have something pressing that is troubling them that they would like to get help with. Yeah. I tell them I'm also aware of the mic. I'm nervous, they're nervous. We're not here to make a performance. We're here to have a session. Yeah. And you forget about everything else. You just delve, you go into the trenches, and you do the work. And I think that um, this idea that you are altered, that you change the way you say because you feel that you're being watched, yeah. you know, you're often more watched by your inner critic than by anybody else that's
2: right okay Valentine's Day
6: yes I'm, the, sh- I'm the sure it's... annual day for you to take stock of the quality of your romantic <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> investments it's like
2: love yom kippur <laughs> <laughs> well done <laughs> all right so that's part of what you think that Valentine's Day should be. It's not just about uh, chocolate and flowers and this. We should all sit there and, and take stock uh, privately. Everybody or- does.
6: But everybody does. You sit there and you say, you know, how are we doing? Are we worth the chocolate? Is the state of our relationship sweet enough? Or is it bitter? Or is it, no, it's a fraud. It would be a farce. It would be lying in our own face. No, I'm not doing anything. You know, people are constantly thinking how much do they deserve the celebration of their relationship, which everybody else is cashing in on, of course. But it's a terrible pressure day. I actually changed it last year. I decided that instead of Valentine being about the this one and only person, you should valentine us all. And it should be a relationship day for the love of all. I think that would make the valentine a lot more pleasant to a lot more people. I think you're right. I really you like that. I really like that.
2: <laughs> so Esther is going to lead a special Valentine's Day version of our game, Guestimators, where Jonathan and I do not know the answers to these questions that she's about to pose. Yeah,
6: we made them up for you. All right, take it away, Esther. Um... So, according to the Pew Research, in 1960, 59% of adults age 18 to 29 were married. Mm -hmm. These days, what percentage of adults 18 to 29 are married? Okay, so this is the United States, basically? Yeah, this is U.S.
1: Does that count people who are divorced who were married, or is it people who have never been married?
6: In the 60s, about 60% of people were married in their early 20s how many do you think today in their early 20s? -hmm.
1: Got it. This is... This
2: sociological
6: question does not deal with your ambivalence. (laughs) I feel like I'm having
2: insight into your marriage, Jonathan. (laughs) I don't know what's happening. This therapy session is going terribly for me. I feel like people are getting married later, but that's my experience and my experience of many of my friends. But I also live in New York, which I realize is not exactly an example of the entire country. But I still think it's just generally
6: lower.
1: It's more acceptable to live with a partner now than than it was in those days. So I think people are sort of trying out cohabitation. Cohabitation. And
6: And you don't need to marry to have sex for the first time. You don't have to get married to have sex. Actually, you marry and you stop having sex with others.
2: (laughs) Um, I'm going to say, so 59, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to go for like half, 30%.
1: I feel like it's a little higher than that.
2: Okay, 40%? How do yeah,
6: you feel about 40%? 40. Okay, 40%? Okay,
2: that's what we're going with, 40%.
6: 20. 20%? Whoa! Nobody's getting married anymore. Between no. those ages. Between those ages. It's yeah. t- everybody that may still will do it about 10 years later. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now marriage is more about just settling.
1: <laughs> settling down, settling down. Settling down, settling down. <laughs>
6: all right let's go to question number two question number two research generally indicates that men cheat more than women but according to data from the national opinion research center by what percentage have female infidelity increased since the 1990s okay
2: well first of all it's increased good to know that
6: (laughs) why why do you think it has gone up
2: why has it gone up? Mm-hmm. Um, we have more tools that allow us to f- connect with people.
1: And I would say maybe there's less expectation that the woman is tied to the home in some way. And the right. Woman is out and about. Less
6: she has to put up with. <laughs> How much percent do you think? It's actually very interesting. Yeah. 40 percent.
1: Oh, all right. <laughs> oh, that's so 40% it. 40 percent higher.
6: But That's almost twice as many. Yeah. Almost twice yeah? as many. But here's the thing. Number one, contraception. Before then, there is no ability to experience sexuality for women freely of the consequences. Second, divorce laws. Right. Third, economic independence of the women. So she's not so likely to be destitute, ostracized, etc. So all of that makes women more likely to behave like other people have behaved. Like like (laughs) men. Like men. All right. (laughs) Want the last one? Yeah, let's go to the last question. So, according to a survey published by the website 538, what percentage of adults who live with their partner said that they sleep apart every night?
2: I don't know. I I will never know. I will never have this option because I live in New York. So if I didn't want to sleep in the bed with my husband, I would have to sleep... In the kitchen. In the kitchen. So what percentage of adults say they sleep apart? 14. Mm, 14? Not a lot. No? No. Uh, I feel like we've learned a lot from this. I, l- I feel like we've learned that we are kind of healthier in relationships and also uh, everyone's got to try harder.
6: <laughs> so here's the thing. We have higher expectations for our relationships. I don't know if we have healthier, but we definitely have unprecedented expectations. So we're going to talk about Valentine, right? We want more and more and more from a party of two. And my friend Eli Finkel always says, you know, when you go climb the mountain, the view gets more and more beautiful, but the air gets thinner and thinner, and less and less people can get there. So the good relationships of today are often much better than the relationships in history. But not everybody gets there. Hmm. Why? Because most people, you know, bring the best of themselves elsewhere and not necessarily home. Right. Everyone should just try to keep climbing. All right. (laughs) All right.
2: All episodes of Esther's podcast, Where Should We Begin, will be available on Apple Podcasts soon. Everyone give it up for our expert, Esther Perel. (laughs) It's time to crown our big winner. Let's bring back our finalist, Sarah Favinger, who doesn't need help with her double bass, and Christopher Downs, who is sick of writing trivia questions about Kylie Minogue. (laughs) Sarah and Christopher, your final round is called Love is Love is Love is Love. Love. Every answer contains the word love. And our big winner will receive an Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube signed by Michael Ian Black. We rolled a 20-sided die backstage, and Sarah is going first. Here we go. Sarah, Julia Roberts starred in the film adaptation of this best-selling memoir by Elizabeth Gilbert. Not a clue. Eat, pray, love. <laughs> Christopher Peter Sellers plays multiple characters in this satirical dark comedy directed by Stanley Kubrick.
5: The love guru?
2: <laughs> Sorry that Sorry? is incorrect. <laughs> we were looking for Doctor Strange Love.
5: Oh yeah, right. Yep.
2: <laughs> Calm down, everybody. Calm down. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> Sarah, in 2013, a southeastern U.S. Commonwealth announced that this tourism slogan would start appearing on its license plates. Virginia's for lovers. That is correct. Christopher, Philadelphia is known by this nickname.
5: The City of Brotherly Love. That is
2: correct. Sarah, this Shakespeare comedy features the longest word in all of his canon, honorific abilitude in a tatted itibus. Um... Nope. Three seconds. Looking for Love's Labor's Lost. Christopher, in 2014, this Utah representative became the first black Republican woman elected to Congress. She lost re-election in 2018.
5: Three seconds. Jessica Love.
2: Mia Love was the answer we
5: were looking for.
2: Sarah, this singer-songwriter was one of the founders of the Beach Boys. Love is also the surname. (laughs) But Three I seconds. Don't have a first name. <laughs> we were looking for Mike Love. Christopher, this 2003 romantic comedy features a star studded ensemble cast and nine interweaving plots.
5: Love, actually. That is correct.
2: We're at the halfway point, and Christopher's in the lead two to one. Sarah Nick Robinson stars in this 2018 film about two high school boys who fall in love over anonymous Gmails. Three seconds. (laughs) Not a clue. Love, Simon. Christopher Dolly Parton wrote this song, popularized by Whitney Houston.
5: I will always love you. That is
2: correct. Sarah, Beyonce announced her first pregnancy at MTV's Video Music Awards after performing this song, which has four key changes. Love on top. That is correct. Christopher Gabriel Garcia Marquez wrote this novel published in Spanish in
5: 1985.
2: Nope. We're looking for Love in the Time of Cholera. Sarah, this HBO series centers on a fundamentalist Mormon family.
4: Oh, God.
2: <laughs> Big love. All right, here's the deal the score is three to two. Christopher, if you get this right, you win. Patricia Heaton and Doris Roberts starred on this long-running CBS sitcom.
5: Everybody Loves Raymond.
2: That is correct. Well done. Thank you so much, Sarah. And congratulations, Christopher. And that's our show. Ask Me Another's house musician is Jonathan Colton.
1: Hey, my name anagrams to Vow Jolt to Cannon.
2: Our puzzles were written by Andrew Kane, Carol Lee, Julia Melfi, and senior writer Karen Lurie, with additional material by Emily Winter. Our senior supervising producer is Rachel Neal. Ask Me Another's produced by Mike Katzef, Travis Larchuk, Kiara Powell, Nancy Seychow, Edward Wyckoff-Williams, Romel Wood, and our intern, Sean Goal, along with Steve Nelson and Anya Grundman. We're recorded by Damon Whittemore Frank Bianco and Jeff O'Neill we'd like to thank our home in Brooklyn New York the Bell House Hot Heel Blues and our production partner WNYC I'm her ripe begonias Ophira Eisenberg and this was Ask Me Another from NPR Next time on Ask Me Another, we're at the pageant in St. Louis. And indie duo Matt and Kim tell us about their philosophy on making music videos.
5: We shot a music video for a song called Lessons Learned. Right. Where we took all our clothes off in Times Square and we won a VMA
3: for it. So, like, Guys, just get naked at all times.
2: (laughs) So join me, Ophira Eisenberg, for NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, developing solutions to support strong families and communities to help ensure a brighter future for America's children. More information is available at aecf.org.